everybody. It's James Lindsay, and you're listening to the New Discourses podcast. This is going to be a pretty short episode. I just want to introduce and tell you guys something uh, that I've done. Uh, introduce my newest book to you, um, give you guys a sense of what it is. The book is called The Marxification of Education. Um, it should be, it's about Paulo Freire. As you guys that listen to the podcast know, I've spent a lot of time talking about Paulo and reading Paulo and exposing Paulo and interpreting Paulo. And so I've written a book and I'm bringing it out on December 6th. I'm going to tell you guys the story of the book. I'm going to actually read to you and kind of flesh out around the 10th chapter of the book, which is after the conclusion. It is called the short, short, short version. And if you get the joke, that's good. If you don't get the joke, life goes on. Um, So the full title of the book is The Marxification of Education, Paulo Freire's Critical Marxism and the Theft of Education, publishing it through New Discourses. You can find it, therefore, because we're using, I know that everybody gets upset, but we're using Amazon's direct publishing, so you can find it on Amazon. In a few months, it will go into expanding expanded distribution. You'll find it other places. I've already recorded the entirety of this book as an audiobook, so as fast as my audio engineers can get that put together, it will be out in audiobook format as well. I know that progress has been made in that direction, and it should be uh, put together too, before too long. This book is uh, shorter than Race Marxism, which I released in February. It is much longer than I originally intended. Um, I think I could have made it as long as race Marxism. I made it as uh, kind of cookies on the bottom shelf. So if there's a little inside baseball with this book, don't let that discourage you from reading it. I think it's extremely important. Um, but if you aren't kind of generally aware of what's going on in education uh, with critical pedagogy in particular and social emotional learning, there's a little bit of a learning curve for you with this book. Um, because I don't go into tremendous detail about those things. The book's goal is to expose and explain Paolo Ferreri and how he, what he did with, Mar- with, with education is what I call a Marxification of education, and then to explain how that facilitates what I consider to be the wholesale theft of education from our children and our society, which I argue in the book, A, is a violation of First Amendment, uh, our First Amendment rights, because what Freire proposes is unambiguously a religious architecture. Um, my lectures on theology of Marxism make that more clear. Um, but it's also, it's not just, um, it's not just that it's, uh, it's that it, it, it gets, it gets into the nitty gritties of how the theft of education was able to be achieved. Um, it does call actually even not just for a religious, you know, first amendment argument, but also it openly says that because there is a theft of education involved, this is a point I was trying to get back to, um, that in fact, I think that at the very least, this all has to be stopped. Critical pedagogy needs to be removed entirely from education. Um, but we, I don't think that we would ever see it, but I think that the citizens of countries like the United States and Canada and most of the West that have incorporated critical pedagogy, maybe Brazil where it started are, um, they deserve restitution. Um, because the, the big kind of punchline of the book repeatedly stated and often in italics is our kids go to Paulo Freire schools. 
the argument that I'm making in general is everything that you're seeing with the brainwashing, the Maoist style thought reform through social emotional learning, uh, whether it's critical or yeah, critical consciousness raising, whether it's um, culturally responsive or or culturally relevant education, whether even it's rooted into the comprehensive sexuality education. All of the stuff where we're seeing that children are learning to become activists for Marxist left-wing causes, that they're being trained through a so-called equity lens, and that they are failing to learn math, reading, writing, science, history, social studies, etc. in an adequate way, all of that can be explained by that simple sentence, our kids go to Paulo Freire's schools. Um... I think that's extremely important to understand, and it's extremely important to understand what that means and why that is the situation, because what Paulo Freire's method does is allows what I'm calling the theft of education. And here's what I mean by the theft of education. This is very, very important. I've you know done some podcasts going through Freire on the theft of education, but I'm much more clear on it. What I mean by the theft of education is that the external form of education, whether it's a math class, whether it's a reading class, whatever... What Freire's method enables of critical pedagogy, what it enables us, or what, what activists, not us, to do is it enables the external form of that lesson to remain intact, but then to have the lesson itself hijacked into a what Freire calls a political literacy lesson. So whether it's a word problem in mathematics, whether it's a reading lesson, whether it's the presence of a drag queen in drag queen story hour, any of these things or any other, it could actually be a simple history lesson, it could be a writing lesson, it could be any lesson, can be maintained in its external form and hijacked into what Freire calls a generative approach that then uses a political decodification to swap out actual learning for training activists or creating change agents. And I think that that's very important because you can't understand what's happening and how they're doing it, what's going on just by, say, looking at the curriculum, even just by talking to activist teachers or non-activist teachers. It's very difficult to put a, put your finger on how they're swapping out an educational approach for academic competency and turning it into an equity lens, social and emotional learning brainwashing program, or critical consciousness that's synonymous, if you actually read the literature, by the way, in social emotional learning. Uh, it's synonymous to say social emotional learning in critical consciousness are largely synonymous uh, approach, but it, it frames out whatever lesson into a equity frame. So let me give you an example. I've given this example in a few talks. I've done a podcast about it. I've brought it up a bunch of times. I'm going to bring it up a bunch of more times. Um, this is an example that I got from Jennifer McWilliams, who I uh, think does wonderful work on exposing social emotional learning, and it is a second grade math word problem that teachers in social emotional learning molds are trained to engage this word problem in the class in to use this word problem as a mediator to a political conversation as Freire would have it and so what you'll see is that this very simple mathematics word problem appropriate for a second grade level becomes hijacked into any number of political conversations and that is what I'm talking about with the theft of education so I'll give you the example but I want you to really lock into the fact that what the reason this happens is because Paulo Freire says repeatedly that the literacy lesson, and he only focused on literacy, not necessarily math, etc., but that the, that the lesson at hand is not a way to transmit knowledge. It is a mediator to knowledge, and that the teacher and the student are not to be thought 
thought of as teacher and student. They're to be thought of as as um, educator and, and, and learner who are as equals in dialogue with one another in a dialectical process where the educator, what differentiates the educator from the learner, because both are technically learners and both are technically educators, but what truly, truly um, differentiates them is that the person designated as educator, what you would call a teacher in the class trained this way, is a facilitator to this uh, correct perspective that comes through the mediated knowledge or the the the, the mediated ob, the mediating object that becomes an object of political lessons. Now this is all very abstract. So let me let me draw it down for you a bit. Um, let me give you the word problem. And the word problem is very simple. Johnny is riding in the car with his mom and dad on the way to the amusement park. The amusement park is 50 miles away. They've already covered 30 miles. How much further is there to go? Very simple second grade subtraction word problem. Not a hard math question. Maybe when you're in second grade, learn how to do this. And so the way that that critical pedagogues, who, who are the people who use this method through social-emotional learning now, are taught to engage this, is in fact to increase engagement with the students. And I just want to point out, this is what Freire talks about. This is why Freire says Freire's method is great, because his political literacy method, he says, increases the engagement. It increases the interest. It makes the students want to learn. Now, experiments don't bear this out, and I'll mention that a little bit later. But the way the, the word problem would be engaged is that the teacher, again, this was seven-year-olds, second graders, would say, you know, before we answer the question class, can anybody raise your hand if you've ever been to an amusement park? And this sounds like a totally benign way to get the kids interested, talking about amusement parks or whatever. But you'll notice it's already a diversion away from doing the mathematics lesson. We're now talking about amusement parks. This is what Freire refers to as a generative theme or a possible generative theme, something relevant and emotionally exciting or interesting or, uh, again, relevant to the students or culturally relevant to the students. So the, the amusement park becomes a diversion and some of the kids are going to raise their hand. Yeah, they've been to an amusement park. And some of the kids won't raise their hand because, no, they haven't been to an amusement park. Again, we're talking about seven-year-olds. So it's a pretty good bet that some have and some have not. And then the teacher says, oh, that's interesting. Some of you have been and some of you haven't. And again, this is how they're trained under this mode of teaching. Now, imagine, pause for a second, imagine that was the thing you, you, you asked a teacher for the curriculum, for the math curriculum. That's the example. You read it at home. You're like, oh, everything's perfectly fine. That's a perfectly reasonable question. Not understanding that it's the the theft of education takes place by the facilitator in the classroom posing as an educator who is going to now do this. That's interesting. Some of you have been and some of you haven't. What are some reasons why some people would have been to amusement parks and others wouldn't? Now notice we're not having a conversation about mathematics anymore. We're having a mathematics problem as a mediator to a discussion about why people may or may not have gone to amusement parks. It was generative of this question in the Frarian language. It was generative of this question of why some people get to go and some people don't. Now, there's a couple of things that you can do, but the teacher might be, uh, is instructed, in fact, in this mode of educating to press on the issue until certain kinds of answers are given. So here's an answer that might be given. Eventually, some kid might say, not everybody can afford it. And the instant that that happens, and that's what they're instructed to look for, now, we, well, well, 
That's a big problem. You're right. Not everybody can afford to go to an amusement park. Let's talk about that. Why can't everybody afford to go to an amusement park? Why are some people poor and some people rich? And now we're having a, t- a conversation about economics or with a Marxist political economy. And obviously the, the conversation can get dragged into a number of different directions. Race can be invoked because of correlations with race. If they can point out, oh, a lot of the white students, but not very many of the black students have been. Why is that? Oh, well, do you think that everybody can afford things equally? Or then the teacher can raise the further question, well, what should we do about the fact that not everybody can afford? Now we're having, of course, some kids are going to say, make it free, make rich people pay for it or whatever. And what you're going to find, it's free for poor people, something like that. And if they're getting like free and reduced lunches at school, they might already have in their head that that's a good idea to way to deal with this inequality or this unfairness that they perceive And now we're having a conversation about economics and socialism specifically as a solution to it with second graders riffing off of a word problem in math that has nothing to do with any of that, literally nothing to do with it. But there are so many other avenues because Johnny was riding in the car so we can have a conversation about environmentalism. Is it good to ride in a car? Hey, class, do you think it's a good idea or a bad idea for people to get in a car, just two or three people and drive 50 miles just to go have fun? Or should they take the bus? Now we're talking about mass transit. We're talking about uh, environmental concerns. Is that bad for the environment with all that pollution? What if everybody did that? How much pollution would it make? And you're deep into the sustainable development goals, which is literally where education is being driven right now before you know it. Johnny was riding in the car with his mom and dad. Hey, kids, you know, Johnny's riding with his mom and dad. Do you guys have a mom and dad? What are your families like? Just a normal conversation, right? Mom and dad becomes a generative theme, just like car, just like amusement park became generative themes. Mom and dad, some kid raises his hand and says, no, my mom is a single mom. Now we're having a conversation about feminism and its its intersection with poverty. And the whole thing gets off to to the races. Somebody says, I know somebody who has two moms. And now we're having a conversation about sexuality. And the whole thing of queer Marxism has been generated out of this relevant concept of mom and dad to the kids. Do you see how this works? Maybe some kids have gone and haven't gone because their parents said, I think it's good. And other kids said, I don't think you're old enough. And somebody says that, volunteers that information in the class. Next thing you know, you're having a conversation of whether parental authority is right. Maybe we can organize something at the school. Now the school becomes the fun savior with the bad parent who's saying it's not age appropriate for their kids. And you can see any number of political conversations that are going to come up and could be driven to any level of desire. So you have socialism questions, poverty questions, socialism discussions, rooting off of poverty, CRT rooting off of race correlating with poverty, environmentalism, uh, parental authority, feminism, uh, queer theory, sexuality, all stemming right off of this. And that's just right off the top of my head, just using three terms in this very short second grade word problem that looks completely benign. This is what I mean when I say there is a theft of education. This is what I mean by theft. This is the stealing of it. To anybody looking in from the outside, you see this word problem, you see the curriculum, you think they're doing second grade math like they're supposed to. At best, you've taken up half the class time to talk about political topics, and maybe you answer one question instead of 10 or 20 with the kids and actually learn math skills. And that becomes the focus. And because those topics are very interesting to kids, it's not hard to get buy-in from them. And because they are young and impressionable, it's not hard to frame them in terms of fairness and equity and so on. 
or inclusion or whatever the values that they're trying to push happen to be sustainability into the kids. And so what you see is now that a political literacy was raised using a mathematical word problem as a mediator to knowledge if we phrase it in the way that Paulo Freire phrases things. And that's where it comes from. I mean, in fact, Linda Darling-Hammond, who's one of the gurus behind the social-emotional learning program at like both political and conceptual levels, uh, explicitly says in her foreword that she wrote to the Handbook of Social-Emotional Learning Research and Practice that for a school to be social and emotional learn, a social-emotional learning center means for it to be Freirean, for it to have adopted Freire's method of transformation and humanization, which if you're following the podcast and keeping up, you know it means Marxism. It means Marxist transformation. It means what Marx meant by humanization, which means becoming a communist. That's what it actually means. And she says that's what its purpose is. But you can trace this whole line of thought very significantly back to Paulo Freire and what he provided, which I'm saying is the ability. These are the tools necessary to hijack education or to steal education. And this is how education, this is what, what I just presented to you with that word problem is how educators are actually trained in an SEL training to actually engage that material, to literally use the word problem as a, in the, the, the three generative themes I mentioned, amusement park becomes a generative theme that generates a political conversation. It's interesting in a political way, or can be made so to the kids and then car and then mom and dad, three different generative themes tucked into one totally benign mathematics word problem. This is what I'm talking about with theft education, is that that thing becomes a mediator to a set, a whole slew of political conversations, political literacy raising, or conscientization. In other words, raising a critical consciousness, as Paulo Freire has it, which he says the purpose of is, in fact, to raise people to have a cultural revolution. The goal is to raise a critical consciousness to denounce the existing world in order to have not just a cultural revolution, but a perpetual cultural revolution by which apparently we're going to end up in a utopian state because Paulo Freire is explicitly and openly utopian with it. And so what's happening, or what I'm, what the point that I'm making with this is, with this mediator to learning, et cetera, this whatever, is that um, what Paulo Freire did was enabled uh, uh, Marxists to steal education by keeping its external form and transforming it into a Marxist brainwashing program. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go into a whole bunch of reading here, but just to read briefly from the prologue, this is what needs to be drawn out from this sample of Freire's text, and I'm not going to read what that was, is a theme that occurs over and over again throughout his books. The lesson presented by the educator is a mediator of learning. It is not something to be learned in and of itself. It is something that facilitates learning on the terms Freire is setting. In other words, a math lesson isn't just a math lesson anymore. It's a mediator to another kind of lesson, which for Freire is a political lesson, which needs to be read as a Marxist political lesson. The math lesson or any other lesson merely becomes a vehicle to the political conversation Freire thinks constitutes a real education. In fact, I quote him several times here afterwards, pointing out that that's actually what he thinks education should be. He says, for example, in the uh, Politics of Education on page 103, he says, from the linguistic point of view, if an illiterate is one who does not know how to read and write, a political illiterate, regardless of whether she or he knows how to read and write, is one who has an ingenuous perception of humanity and its relationships with the world. 
This person has a naive outlook on social reality, which for this one is a given. That is, social reality is a fait accompli rather than something that's still in the making. And what he is doing is intimating Marxism, right? An ingenuous perception of humanity and its relationships with the world means not Marxist. He has a naive outlook on social reality, which means not Marxist. That social reality is a fait accompli rather than something that's still in the making and that can be made by Marxists learning to seize the means of production and engage in a cultural revolution. That's what he means. And so you see how the theft of education is rooted in Paulo Freire, and that's what this book is actually about. And so just a little more from the prologue at the very end of the prologue, last two paragraphs, I'm going to read the uh, short, short, short version, and I'll explain why that exists. I wrote, this has to stop. It never should have been allowed to happen. So you get a flavor of the tone here. This is not what education should be about, and it cannot be what education is about in any nation that hopes to survive long into the future. In fact, it isn't education at all. It is, in a phrase, thought reform, which Robert J. Lifton gave as the formal translation for the Mandarin Chinese Xinao, which literally translates as wash brain, or more commonly brainwashing. Another apt term in our more contemporary context is cult grooming. By the end of this guide, chances are good that you'll understand the biggest piece of why our schools are failing kids and turning them into self-defeating, ignorant, often paranoid activists for causes they don't even understand. And you'll probably agree with me unless you're a certain type of Marxist yourself. Paulo Freire's influence needs to be identified and removed from every school and college of education in North America and throughout the world as quickly as possible for the sake of our families, our nations, and most of all, our kids. So that's the stance I'm taking on this issue, and I hope you understand already why. And I go through, this book goes through in enormous detail every aspect of Paulo Freire's educational method, focusing primarily on the politics of education, which he published in 1985, and the pedagogy of the oppressed, which he published in 1970, uh, to make the case that this really is his philosophy, this really is what has been adopted, and so on. So at the very end of the book, I have a short, short, short version. And again, if you get the joke, that's great. If you don't, your um, your film library needs to be expanded. You're missing some important, uh, great film work from yesteryear. Uh, and I won't spoil what that is. But why does why is there a short, short, short version given as an appendix to this? And it'll it'll make sense why it's written the way that it is. Originally, the the seed of this book. Came, there was a lawsuit in Williamson County, Tennessee, suing the state and the county, um, among other things, for implementing critical race theory and other things that are against the law in Tennessee right now uh, through what's a social emotional learning program called Wit and Wisdom. And the lawyers reached out to me to help with this and asked me if I would write a affidavit to explain what's going on with Frarian education with critical consciousness, et cetera. So I wrote this thing and it was six or 7,000 words um, and submitted it and we cleaned it up and whatever. Off it goes. That thing I expanded to the text of this book, which is short, just short of 60,000 words. That's where the genesis of this book is. Uh, that's where it comes from. And so that's why I wrote it. But at, in the process of the lawsuit, I was also asked to write a executive summary. And with just a little bit of editing and an introduction, I took this executive summary and stuck it at the end of the book and called it the short, short, short version. 
And so what it says, and this is what I want to read, and I'll break things down like I have been as I go through this, but it says parts of this book are admittedly complex. It's also twice as long as I had intended it to be. And that's true. I wanted to shoot for an expansion of the original six or 7,000 words by about four or five times over to about 30,000 words and have a quick little guide people could read. But like I said earlier in the podcast, it just didn't work out that way because as a matter of fact, um, the problem is that uh, there's a lot to explain in Ferrari himself. And then there's a lot to explain about what's going on in education. And I even fall short there because I didn't want another 100,000 word book. Therefore, as a short appendix, I say, I'm including a lightly edited executive summary of the key points provided to a legal firm attempting to fight Marxist brainwashing in real American schools. 100% true. And what I wrote is that the Frerian approach to education is based off the work of the Brazilian Marxist Paulo Freire, who is most famous for his 1970 book, Pedagogy of the Oppressed. This book is the third most cited source in all of the social sciences and humanities and enjoys pride of place and curricular centrality in virtually every college of education in North America. The Ferrarian method, called critical pedagogy, because it makes a critical theory that is a neo-Marxist theory out of education itself, lies beneath, behind, or relevant to virtually every pedagogical trend in education over the last 20 to 30 years, including social-emotional learning, culturally relevant teaching, comprehensive sexuality education, and project-based learning schemes. Culturally relevant teaching is unambiguously and unapologetically a direct repackaging of the Frarian approach into the context of, quote, cultural competence in American identity politics. Frary's pedagogy is a disaster for education and our children and has no place in our schools. So, I mean, that's that's kind of the big, we're not getting into any of the nitty-gritty here, but that's kind of the big picture problem. You name it, it draws off of SE, uh, off of Frary, or it is just Frary repackaged. Culturally relevant teaching is Frary repackaged into critical race theory and ethnic studies, literally, or multicultural education, whichever buzzword you want that all basically mean the same thing in practice. Culturally relevant teaching, which spun off culturally responsive teaching, which spun off culturally sustaining teaching, which has now remerged back into the stream of social emotional learning to create transformative social emotional learning and now a new thing called culturally affirming social emotional learning. These things all mate with each other constantly. Social emotional learning, I argue, I don't have to argue. Uh, Linda Darling Hammond, one of its chief architects, says that it is based off of the Frarian agenda. And when we get to the transformative social emotional learning, it is explicitly Frarian. Its explicit goal is to raise a critical consciousness. It employs culturally relevant teaching as part of part and parcel to do that. Culturally relevant teaching, specifically, by the way, just to kind of tell you, Gloria Ladson Billings, when she wrote the first paper about this back in 1995, which is um, called something like Toward a Theory of a Culturally Relevant Pedagogy or something like that, explains that there are, in fact, three reasons that culturally relevant teaching should exist after giving homage to Freire and his approach. And those reasons are one, to encourage academic success, two, to raise cultural competence, and which one might consider cultural literacy or culturally cultural politics, political literacy of Freire, and three, to raise a critical consciousness, which is explicitly the goal, explicitly the goal of Paulo Freire's method, which is to conscientize in his word. 
to, to make critically conscious, to use education as a means of brainwashing kids into critical consciousness, which is a Marxist political consciousness of circumstances that are generative or interesting and emotionally evocative in their lives. So this is the summary there. To continue, I said, what Freire did, in short, was to Marxify education and knowing. That is, he created a Marxist theory in which being educated, literate, or considered someone who knows, thus also what is designated as knowledge, operates in perfect parallel to the, quote, bourgeois class scapegoated by Karl Marx. Those who are considered uneducated, illiterate, or, or ignorant represent a lower class that can be made, quote, class conscious of their circumstances so that they will seek to initiate and complete a cultural revolution that moves them from the margins of society to its center from which they can transform it. So before continuing, this is obviously the title of the book and the core of the book, The Marxification of Education. And it's I've said it a million times on a million podcasts what it means, but let me make it clear here as well that Ferrari frames out being considered a knower, being someone who's legitimately knowledgeable. That itself is considered a form of special cultural property that has to be abolished because it creates a class society in terms of who's a knower and who's not, who has access to the upper echelons of society and who doesn't. And in fact, this whole nonsense that you are totally familiar with at this point, all this nonsense about decolonizing the curriculum, this comes straight from Freire. Actually, in this case, it comes from Freire by means of Henry Giraud, by means of uh, Joe Kinchelow in a direct line, and that's where it was mostly developed. Decolonizing the curriculum means to uh, make it Freirean in a cultural regard. It is, in fact, to replace artifacts of the existing culture with um, potentially generative texts that uh, question the existing culture. The, all of this stuff about other ways of knowing. So basically, woke is rooted in Freire. Who gets to be considered a knower, a valid knower? Your truth and my truth. As much as postmodern philosophy made all of this possible and provides kind of the necessary piece to make it go, the underlying ethos, the underlying concept lies in Freire's Marxist theory of knowing of being a knower. Why is it always marginalized knowers, marginalized thinkers, marginalized knowledges, marginalized um, groups that can't compete within academia, blah, blah, blah? Why is there research justice, citation justice, etc.? It all comes back to this. It all comes back to the idea that there are, that, that what we consider to be the knowledge base and being educated and becoming educated is a bourgeois construct meant to maintain an upper class that oppresses everybody outside of it, that excludes other ways of knowing, and so on. Um, by the way, when I was going through the kind of short list a minute ago, I want to go back real quick uh, since I've now wrapped that up. I mentioned comprehensive sexuality education. By the way, that's the point of the Drag Queen Story Hour thing when they say in the literally in the abstract of the Drag Queen Story Hour paper called Drag Pedagogy. That was written by a trans educator named Harper Keenan and a groomer, I mean drag queen, named Harris Kornstein, or Steen, I don't know how he pronounces it, um, who goes by the moniker Little Miss Hot Mess and wrote the paper under the moniker Little Miss Hot Mess. That's Lil Miss, L-I-L, Lil Miss Hot Mess, um, this groomer. Uh, they wrote this paper, and in the abstract, they say that the drag queen's presence and performance is generative. 
for children for the goal of introducing the ideas of living queerly, alternate modes of kinship, rule breaking, etc. Why do they say that it's a generative? Why is a drag queen generative? Because Paulo Ferrari. And that opens the door to all of the uh, comprehensive sexuality education stuff. I'm telling you, this has touched virtually every fad. All the project-based learning crap turns out rooted in Ferrari. He wanted people to take up political projects as part of their learning. But I digress. So now you kind of have an idea without me going into extraordinary detail of what Marxification of education means. It means that Literally, the concept of getting educated is understood in the Marxist conflict theory way, which is that being educated is seen as a bourgeois status created by bourgeois people who get to control what it means to be educated and exclude other ways of being knowledgeable, educated, or intellectually respectable, other ways of knowing, etc. In what he believes is a political and arbitrary way, that segregates society and intrinsically puts it in class society and marginalizes that which the bourgeois structure doesn't uh, benefit from. So I continue here uh, in the, the summary. True education for Freire is a process of gaining, quote, political literacy through a process he describes as, quote, conscientization, the gaining of critical, or that is Marxist, consciousness with activist commitments. And that's very important. For Marx was a theorist of praxis. He was not an idealist. He was not merely a philosopher. In fact, I don't think he was a philosopher at all. He was a tactician. He was. He said that his philosophy was one of praxis. Your job as a Marxist is to go destroy the world. You have to go do the activism. The activism matters more than the theory. It's part of why it's so destructive. It's not a mere philosophy. In fact, it's not a philosophy. It doesn't love wisdom. It loves destruction. Philo, Sophia, love, wisdom. No loving of wisdom in Marxism whatsoever. There's love of destruction. That's it. So true education for Ferrari is a process of gaining, quote, political literacy through a process he describes as, quote, conscientization, the gaining of critical, or that is Marxist consciousness, with activist commitments. Ferrari positions all genuine education as an imposition of the existing social and political order onto students so they will be domesticated, quote, domesticated, that's his word, by it and learn to reproduce and maintain it. So there's a lot in that sentence actually to unpack. The first thing is the uh, reproduce part. Freire's critical pedagogy that developed out of his theft of education model turns out, his conscientization model, turns out to be uh, the solution that was given to what Marxists have long called, especially cultural Marxists have long called, the problem of reproduction. The problem of reproduction is that the features of society cause society to reproduce itself. You teach kids to go, you send them to school, you teach them to be good students, you teach them how to succeed in the existing economy, they get out of school to get a good job to succeed in the existing economy, and guess what? They validate and reproduce the existing economy. Same with the value system, the civics, the liberal civics, the critical race theory explicitly says that it wants to overthrow. Remember that it exists to call into question the very foundations of the liberal order, including enlightenment, rationalism, legal reasoning, uh, whatever it was, and neutrality of constitutional law, neutral principles of constitutional law. Um, yeah, th that's the point. Um, and so the the goal, the question plaguing uh, Marxists through the 60s and 70s, especially, but actually all the way back to the 20s and 30s, is how do you defeat in big in, in established Western nations and capitalist countries as opposed to peasant agrarian societies like Russia and China? 
how do you defeat um, the problem of reproduction? And this is the solution. Paulo Freire's education method is the solution. You go into the schools and you transform the education. So the way that it works in practice is you seize the college of education. That means that you seize the teachers. That means that you seize the children. That means that you seize the future. And so the, the, the system stops reproducing itself if you go younger and younger and younger, not even just in colleges, and start actually training people, conscientizing children to see the world that way. And so you get the schools to reject the prevailing values, but you'll never do that just blatantly. So you need the theft of education. And the way the theft of education comes about is through Paulo Freire's one-two punch of what are called generative themes and decodification of those themes to where he reveals the Marxist reality, alleged reality, actuality is the more correct word here behind it. And what he says is the reason that the problem, he doesn't call it the problem of reproduction, but he does mention that societies are reproducing themselves through education. The, the reason that this happens is because the, the existing education methods, he says, domesticate students, that domesticates them to accept the existing order, to see it as a fait accompli or whatever that thing was from the quote. That's how he sees it. And so you go to school to have your inquisitiveness stamped out of you. It actually overlaps a lot with Ivan Illich's unschooling movement, that the schools brainwash you to be conformist to your existing society, just another cog in the machine, so we got to unschool you. Well, it's like taking that in another wacky direction here, where critical consciousness, Marxist consciousness, is the only true way to break free of that domestication. And so he, he teaches a method of conscientizing to the fact that there's these problems, that they domesticate people, prevent them from being revolutionaries or radicals or discontents or whatever it happens to be. And then you conscientize them into wanting to do the opposite, to denounce the domesticating modes, to announce the possibility of a better future. That's his model. And thus you break the problem of reproduction. So it turns out in that one sentence, there's a whole lot of Marxist theory, kind of advanced Marxist theory going on. And the book is going to explain how all of that goes. I go on, I say, it should be noted that this process strongly resembles the, quote, thought reform, aka, quote, brainwashing technique used in communist Chinese re-education prisons and schools in its structure, methods, and goals. See Robert J. Lifton, Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism, a Study of Brainwashing in China. Now, that's a whole like two-hour podcast to describe how that is, but suffice it to say that if you read from Lifton, and I quote from Lifton significantly here in uh, the book, that you will um, see that what is actually happening by reframing, say, every lesson into an opportunity to see from the standpoint of the oppressed, that you're actually copying what Mao did in his prisons, which was to reframe everything in people's lives as a potential committed crime that you can then reframe into the equity lens so that you see it from the position of the oppressed instead of the standpoint of the people in Maoist prisons. Okay, so I know I mixed that up a little bit, but here we are. So it is actually, in my opinion, which I think is extraordinarily qualified in this case, it is informed, it is a form of Freire's model is a form of Marxist or Maoist brainwashing. It mirrors what Mao was doing. I'm not claiming that he got it from Mao. I don't know what he got from Mao and what he didn't get from Mao. He wrote his first major book in 70. Mao did this, what I'm describing, this recorded in Lifton's book in like 1952. So it's possible he knew what was going on over there. It's possible also that he did not. And so I don't know, and I'm not claiming to know. 
What I am claiming is, as I said here, the structure method and goals are virtually identical. The goal is to get people to see things from the standpoint of the whatever it happens to be the proletariat, whether it's the people, whether it's the oppressed, whether it's whatever. The goal will be to accuse children or tell children that the circumstance that they find themselves in or whatever is indicative of racism, to insinuate or outright tell them that they are racist, in other words, to charge them with a crime of racism, and then to use social-emotional learning brainwashing tools and Fourierian consciousness raising to get them to recognize their own racism or sexism or transphobia or homophobia or ableism or fatphobia or classism or whatever they need to do unsustainable practices, blah, blah, blah. In that process, I say prisoners and students were presented with aspects of their own lives in which they were alleged to have committed crimes or otherwise failed to show solidarity with the Chinese people and its, quote, perfect government enhanced through regular interrogation. Again, you're accusing kids or insinuating the kids are complicit in racism, sexism, so on, and then you are putting them through uncomfortable sessions to sit with this discomfort. That's what Megan Buller calls the pedagogy of discomfort. That's what's being employed. That's what social emotional learning is geared to help them manage once they get put through it. Uh, and, and then you uh, make sure that you test them and grade them and have them write papers or confessions, really. Uh, that then validate in their own minds that they believe those things about themselves, that they're complicit in racism, sexism, etc., and that they can join a process of activism to stand on the side as whether it's allies, whether in solidarity or whatever else. This is brainwashing. It's not indoctrination. It's brainwashing. It's far worse. It's far more powerful, and it's happening to your children. And Paulo Freire is the mechanism by which it's been able to slide through and get instantiated in virtually every school in America typically under social-emotional learning programs. Uh, sorry, so um, I'll pick back up. i got to give you a little bit. Uh, prisoners and students were presented with aspects of their own lives in which they were alleged to have committed crimes or otherwise failed to show solidarity with the Chinese people and its perfect government enhanced through regular interrogation. They were then put through long, abusive dialogue sessions, literally called, quote, struggle, to help them learn to, quote, recognize their crimes so that they might, quote, confess to them. Crimes are, quote, recognized when prisoners learn to adopt, quote, the people's standpoint. That is, once they are conscientized into the Chinese Marxist way of thought. This is exactly what we're dealing with, with conscientizing them to the equity frame or to systemic racism or to gender ideology or queer theory, really. Blah, blah, blah. Same thing. It's exactly the same. You're raising, raising these critical consciousnesses in various identity politics and other domains. In our system, transformative social-emotional learning most directly mirrors the thought reform process, I say. It proceeds by presenting socially and politically emotionally provocative material to children after surveying them to discover relevance. It then trains students to have the, quote, correct social attitudes and emotional responses to these stimuli posing as curriculum, especially to see them through an, quote, inclusive lens or as a pedagogy of the oppressed. It could be inclusive. I chose inclusive for this summary instead of equitable or equity because what we see all the time in the literature from all the freaks is a sustainable and inclusive future. So I actually think inclusion is probably more of an important value the way that they do. And this is just a short summary. Transformative SEL is unapologetic in stating its purpose is to raise a, quote, critical consciousness. 
that is to induce Freirean conscientization through similar though updated methods. And so social emotional learning is being mainlined into every school system in America. How bad is it? Well, this summer, Ron DeSantis, America's governor, although we're all supposed to be mad about every major conservative figure at the present moment, this summer, July 2022, Ron DeSantis signed a piece of legislation written by the super-based Florida legislature called the Stop Woke Act. Stop Woke couldn't be more explicit. And how humiliating that Section 4 of that bill, which was passed and signed, literally includes the social-emotional learning five competency areas as mandated. So they, the Stop Woke Act itself introduces the primary woke tool into Florida schools, putting them in a perfect bind with a perfectly useless piece of legislation in the most based state allegedly in the country from the most informed governor and most informed legislature that we have with all the other 49 actually it's not right because it's like 31 because the democrat ones are main or the i mean they're 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 driving this thing as hard as they can but the other 30 whatever republican governors are sticking around with their thumbs up their asses no idea what's going on have never most of them haven't even heard of these words or like certain governors, family members that they have are pushing social-emotional learning programs in their state. So this is everywhere, and it is purpose, its purpose is to induce Ferrarian conscientization, and its mechanism is brainwashing, which I claim the Ferrarian method opens the door to, and in fact, facil- it doesn't just facilitate, it is. It is this brainwashing, and the argument in the book, I think, makes that clear. The Frarian method can be summarized as follow as following four distinct steps. So here we're actually going to kind of get into the nuts and bolts of Frary's method a little bit. I'm not going to elaborate too much. You should read the book. I've also run like 8 million podcasts on it. So if you don't want to read the book, I don't fault you. Go listen to the podcast. If you don't want to do that, I I got nothing left for you. Go read some crap I put on new discourse, new discourses about it, like the Frarian entry. One, identification of quote generative themes. In this step, dialogue, surveys, and provocations are used with students to identify words, concepts, and themes that have political relevance in their real lives. That is, it is a practice of data mining students to find political sore spots relevant to their lives. If you think back to the uh, to the example of the amusement park, amusement park is not a sore spot, but it's a thing that's relevant and interesting to kids and will get them going. And you can very easily introduce the political relevance of that in about 11 ways. Those will be the sore spots. Freire insists that this method take place between, quote, educators and learners as equals, end quote. And the purpose is to identify politically, socially, and emotionally relevant ideas that can be used to encourage conscientization of the political context of their lives. Obviously, given the goal, these themes are usually negative and pick at points of potential political grievance that have been data mined out of the students. And as I said with the word problem example, it doesn't have to be that way. It can actually be something that gets the kids excited and gets them to volunteer the opportunity to get into the grievance politics. Uh, and frequently is that. Two, presentation of the generative themes in, quote, codified form. In this step, the contents of the generative themes are fed back to the students as in a, sorry, in a, quote, abstract or, quote, codified form. Freire recommends picture form since he was teaching literacy and couldn't expect his students to read. 
In the American education system, this might take the form of reading materials, vocabulary lists, contoured subject matter lessons like history through the 1619 Project and math through, quote, ethno-mathematics, and special presentations. Even the now infamous Drag Queen Story Hour program refers to the the purpose of introduction of drag queens into schools as a, quote, generative methods for, quote, queer politics. And so uh, I just ran into, I just had this sent to me today, by the way, the NEA, the the National Education Association, the largest teachers union, um, has put out a 136-page document I haven't had a chance to read that is essentially, I've skimmed through it, it is essentially a a direction for where education is about to go, and it is a claim that we need education to be geared toward exactly the two things that I said they're going to start changing education. DEI won't be out, but it won't be focused upon. CRT, etc. won't be out, but it won't be focused upon. SEL will stay in as the means to do it, but they say that the purposes that they're going to focus on are global citizenship and sustainability, exactly like I said would be the case. Now, this actually, this guide, which again, I've only skimmed and I've only read a couple of pages of, has lesson plans for every grade level. And the first one, of course, is kindergarten. And it says that a sample, proper, sustainable development goal for Agenda 2030 SEL lesson for kindergartners is to focus on the concept of hunger. So you're going to sit down with kindergartners and you're going to find excuses to bring up conversations about starvation, about hunger. Their vocabulary list, the new words that they're going to learn are going to be words about being hungry, about starving, about maybe starving to death. These are the things that they want to drive into children, diseases of malnutrition, into kindergartners. So when I say vocabulary lists, reading materials, contoured subject matter lessons, this is what I mean. We have an explicit document from the NEA. We're not talking about even UNESCO, which feels one step removed. We're talking about the National Education Association, explicitly saying that, I haven't looked beyond kindergarten, actually, I didn't have a chance to skim further, saying that the lesson planning for kindergartners should be to teach them about world hunger, to teach them about starvation. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. The vocabulary list can be contoured to bring up those words again and again until kids are asking what they mean and they're having political discussions about them. How many of you kids have ever heard of hunger? How many of you have ever gone hungry? How many of you have ever missed a meal? Political conversation, political conversation, political conversation. These are the Frarian generative themes, generative methods. This is what I'm talking about. The theft of education that Freire set up is how they're able to do this. This is why Frarian education is going to destroy the world. It will destroy America. I'm not exaggerating. The goal of this step, I said, is to spur dialogue about the politically sensitive topics after presenting them in a way that might facilitate the goal of conscientization. 3. Marxist analysis of the codified themes called, quote, decodification. In this step, the codifications from the previous step are, quote, problematized, which means subjected to Marxist analysis in a dialogical format between learners and educators acting as facilitators, and then made personal to the students. As a matter of fact, the the decodification step is where the theft of education happens, and it's a little bit more complicated than I said in that sentence, because there are actually two decodifications happening. There is a lesson relevant, or if it's reading a, a uh, linguistic decodification, you're learning to identify a word with an image. You're learning to use that word as a springboard to learn other words. And so you're now decodifying the word for slum or hunger or whatever 
and making it meaningful in a linguistic sense to the kids, in other words, allegedly teaching them to read or to understand a concept or a social studies lesson or whatever. But then there's a political decodification in which you walk them through the three Marxist steps of reading, problematization, and concretization. In other words, you teach them to read the situation in terms of its political relevance. Hunger doesn't just happen. You have to, you, you, uh, Hunger doesn't just happen. You have to understand the forces that create hunger. Why are some people hungry and others? Why are you not hungry? Why do your parents feed you? What about poor people? Blah, blah, blah. You teach them to read it. Then you teach them to, secondly, problematize it. You've all heard that word. Guess where that really comes from? Paulo Freire. That's why they all talk about problematizing. That's why woke is about problematizing and things being problematic, because it was a key step in Freire's method, and Freire is the father of woke. Woke means doing Freirean crap. That's all it actually means. You can put it into a sp academic spin machine and like Joe Kinchelow did later and spit out uh, critical constructivist epistemology, but this is what it is. This is what it is. It's teaching kids to identify and denounce everything in their lives and problematize it through problematization. Problematizing means connecting it to the so-called dehumanizing or domesticating forms that Paulo Freire says characterize everything. What do those look like? Racism, sexism? cis-heteronormativity, blah, 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 ableism, the whole nonsense, all these things. To talk about its so-called real concrete conditions, that means to understand it as a Marxist and to connect it to so-called structures or systems of power that marginalize and oppress. That's what problematizing means. That's why you see every third article from every woke person is this new thing that you either never considered in this regard, or shouldn't consider in this regard, never even heard of or whatever, is racist. That's why everything is racist. Everything is sexist. That's why being a tomboy has a long history of being racist. That's also because then you can pressure girls who want to be tomboys to call them racist so they'll transition. That's what this is about. That's how this works. And these political conversations with educators, quote, as facilitators through conscientization or political literacy or decodification lessons are the vehicle to do it. It's brainwashing. And then I said, so you got reading, then you got problematizing. And the third step is concretizing or concretization, which is where you make it concrete. If you're paying attention to the Hegelian aspects of these things in the dialectic, you remember that Hegel said that things start out abstract, like in a codification, which is an abstract image. Then you meet it with its negative. That's where you're going to problematize it. And then you make it concrete, which in this case means you connect it back to the learner. We just learned about how you know, whatever situation, Tulsa race massacres, those are rooted in systemic racism. Systemic racism is really bad. It impacts the world today. By the way, you experience or perpetrate systemic racism. That's reading, problematizing, concretizing. And that's the decodification process. And what Freire says is that the decodification process should go before the, the political decodification process should go before that step one of the linguistic decodification. Why? To raise engagement, to make it more interesting, to make the students want to learn. But that's not actually what happens. So this is this, the generative theme thing sets up the theft of education. That's like It's like you're playing three-card Monty and they've got the cards on the table. And then the magic trick where they swap out the actual lesson for a political lesson happens in decodification. And if you don't know, never play three card Monty. People that are doing it are sleight of hand artists that are always going to rip you off. The only people who win three card Monty are foils in the audience who are going to give the money back so they can get more people to think it's possible and rip you off. So this is how those thefts work. Anyway, 
I go on to say this process, meaning decodification, is done in a way that always tends toward conscientizing the students. So in SEL, that's the equity and inclusion lens or the sustainability lens under this SDG nonsense that they're doing, which is to say teaching them to interpret their circumstances through a Marxist perspective to apply them to their own lives and to become activists to change those circumstances. Very important. It must have that activist dimension. Theory and practice must be unified. In an experimental study of the Frarian adult literacy method in Nigeria, so this happened in 2007, and I'll tell you about the study in a, in a second, by the end of this stage, students were reported to be, quote, emotional wrecks who only wanted to be activists and had no interest in learning to read. Now, I'll come back to this. I'm going to go find the description or some description of this Nigerian thing so you can actually hear how badly this went off the rails. It's staggering how bad this went off the rails. Let me find it here in the text. Okay, so um, I'll read from the prologue again. The catastrophe of Frarian education is difficult to overstate. In fact, it's best stated by Frarian educators themselves as they attempt to salvage the disastrous method from its own programmatic failure. Consider the following description from the German Adult Education Institute DVV International, which is Deutscher Volkschule. For Bond, I said that terribly, for Band actually, but it's obviously Deutscher is German, Volkschule school has got to be something to do with people's school, but I don't know what the part in the middle means, and I don't care, because it's the name of a place, and Verband, or Verband, V-E-R-B-A-N-D, I don't know what that means, and I don't care. DVV International, which attempted to study the implementation of Frarian pedagogy in the Nigerian context in 2007. So they outline kind of the whole thing. They talk about the generative themes thing in stage one, um, actually interviewing the subjects to get the generative themes, talking to the Nigerians to get them. This is in a handful of different schools and different contexts in the, I don't know how to say it. It's OJO, Ojo region. Is that right? Oho, I don't know, of Nigeria. Uh, and so anyway, um, I'm going to quote to you what they say from stage two and stage three to show you just how much of a disaster. This is exactly what they wrote about their own experiment and their own process. Stage two, the selection of the word of words from the discovered vocabulary. So this is the generative themes part from the discussions of the of the learners, the generative words written by the team of facilitators were. So this is they're going to teach these Nigerians who can't read to read. These are the words they pick after talking to them to find out what bothers them, what will be generative, where can they have a political conversation posing as a reading lesson? So just to make it clear what's going on. So here, the word, the generative words written by the team of facilitators were, this is the, this is the, what they're going to try to teach people to read. I just want to really emphasize that, were resources. Imagine that's your first word you have to learn to read. Resources, money, abundance, crude oil, Stealing, pocket, begging, plenty, poverty, suffering, frustration, crying, hunger, crisis, dying, death. Pause to just appreciate how effed up these people are that think that that's how you should go about doing a reading lesson. There are 17 of those because for reasons that probably have to do with hermetic magic, uh, for I believe that 17 generative themes was how much it takes to fully conscientize somebody and awaken them as a Marxist. Anyway, carrying on. These words, this is quoting from the paper, these words were later depicted in pictorial form showing the concrete realities and situations in the lives of the people. 
The pictorial display provoked an emotional state of pity and anger among the discussants. Some of them could not talk, while most of them were moved to tears asking the question, why, 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 why? So far, so good for this method. Remember, this is supposed to make them want to learn to read. Stage three, the actual process of literacy training. See, so that was the presentation of the generative themes. What's supposed to happen now is the decodification process is supposed to start with the political decodification, explaining how, in Marxist terms, how these things don't, or how these words relate to their lives, to decodify them politically, and that will make them want to read those words. And then the learning to read process will come stage through the actual process of literacy training. Okay, what, what do they say? How did that go? How did that go, you ask? After the completion of stage two, it came as a great surprise to the facilitators that the discussants were not willing to participate in the literacy teaching and training process. They were in a state of emotional wreck. They were furious, angry, shouting, and restless. They were shouting, change, 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 cursing furiously those who have, in one way or the other, contributed to the suffering of the people. The bottom line, acquisition of basic literacy skills did not make any meaning to them and was, in fact, irrelevant, with some of them asking the facilitators, what have you people who are learned done to change the situation. Rather, you have worsened the situation when you yourself got to the position. So in other words, Ferrarian education works. It radicalized the Nigerians. Did they want to learn to read? No. The political decodification radicalized them. It conscientized them. It made them into Marxist psychopaths. They wanted change, 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 change. Why, why, why? But guess what? They don't want to actually understand because they don't want to learn to read. And all they've been done, all they've had done to them is a Marxist conscientization that's whipped them up into becoming change, 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 change agents. They've turned into radical, ignorant, know-nothing activists. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? That's what actually happens. And that's what's happening with your kids. And that's why your kids can't read. What I wrote here in the, the next paragraph um, is uh, that, the, that these people in the paper argue that they shouldn't abandon the, the program, even though it's a disaster, why the method doesn't fail at its primary objective, of course, whatever it does with its state of, stated objective. So let's make this very clear. The primary objective is conscientization. It's to Marxist radicalize. Its stated objective is to teach people to read or to do to achieve academic mastery. So the method doesn't fail at its primary objective, whatever it does with its stated objective, which is little more than its sales pitch. The method very successfully and efficiently achieves political conscientization, and of that there can be no doubt. And so you have it succeeding in what it's made to do, which is to radicalize people, and failing in what it's telling people it's made to do, which is to educate as a better method of educating. This is exactly what you see explicitly, again, in the Drag Queen Story Hour paper, which is a generate the presence and performance of the drag queen is taken as generative to teaching the kids about alternate modes of kinship and all these different things and living queerly. How do you know? Because they tell you in the paper about empathy that it's a sales pitch. It is a marketing program to talk about empathy, to focus on empathy. It is not what the thing is actually about. Let me see if I can find this for you. Um, I want to make sure I get to the right part because the word empathy comes up a number of times. Uh, 
Finally, it is often assumed that the primary pedagogical goal, this is reading from Drag Pedagogy, it is often assumed that the primary pedagogical goal of queer education should be to increase empathy toward LGBT people. While this premise has some merit and underlies many sincere projects in educational and cultural work, including Drag Queen Story Hour, the notion of empathy has also been critiqued by feminist scholars of color and others for the ways in which empathy can enable an effective appropriation, blah, 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 blah. And what do they go on to say in the next paragraph? It is undeniable that Drag Queen Story Hour participates in many of these tropes of empathy from the marketing language the program uses to its selection of books. I may emphasize that again. From the marketing language the program uses. Much of this is strategically done, strategically done, in order to justify its educational value. However, we suggest that Drag supports Scholars' critiques of empathy rather than reifying the concept. Drag performers do not necessarily seek identification with another, but rather to experience ways that would be empathy for LGBT people. It doesn't seek identification with the other, but rather to experience ways of embodying and expressing different aspects of themselves. Rather than walking in someone else's shoes and trying to understand what it might mean to be a different gender, for example, drag offers a model for participants to try on many costumes and cosmetics to understand how these elements reinforce or alter their own sense of self. Down to the bottom of the paragraph. That is, drag is an, is an imaginative and creative process. It is grounded in building character, both in the sense of constructing a persona and in better understanding one's own relations to others. This approach can support students in finding the unique or queer aspects of themselves rather than attempting to understand what it's like to be LGBT. So there you have it from, in this sense, in this case, the horse's mouth, that Drag Queen Story Hour is exactly what we're reading here. The goal isn't actually to teach empathy. There's nothing to do with that. It is a sales pitch that it's going to do that. It has another goal, which is to radicalize into queer ways of being, queer ways of presenting, queer ways of thinking, queer ways of feeling, and in fact, alternate modes of kinship in which you abandon your family for a so-called queer family on the street. That's what they literally say. So again, from the... Uh, Executive summary at the end of the book, in an experimental study of the Freyrian adult literacy method in Nigeria, by the end of this stage, the decodification stage, the political part of it, they never get to the actual liter literacy part or learning part. Students were reported to be emotional wrecks who only wanted to be activists and had no interest in learning to read. Now compare this with the kids going through that lesson with that word problem. They do this, and now they're only interested in talking about poverty and how they can get poor kids to be able to go to the amusement park or whatever else. Are they interested in solving the math question or learning to frame out a math question? No, they're not. Not usually. Very rarely. Almost none of the Nigerians were. This is the theft of education. Okay, so we're almost through this. Uh, four Academic instruction through the aforementioned structure, Freire insists that the high level of engagement produced by the method will resu result in students using generative themes or words as a basis for wanting to learn the subject matter and doing so thoroughly. That's what I just said. Experiments, for example, the one from Nigeria just mentioned, do not bear this hypothesis out. Freire insists that they will both learn the relevant academic material and become politically conscious, that is, Marxist. In truth, only the second of these aims, the ignoble and destructive one, seems to be achieved by his method. 
So then I wrap up this executive summary by saying, again, the Ferrarian method of education, quote, education is not an educational method at all. It is a means for politically grooming the perspective of students into a Marxist mindset, including to become activists. It is not only Marxist programming, but an abject failure in all respects and has no place in American schools. So that's the executive summary, the short, short, short version summarizing the book, The Marxification of Education, uh, Paulo Freire's Critical Marxism and the Theft of Education, which I have just written written, uh, and will be published on, on December 6th. Um, I hope you'll pick it up. I hope you'll read it. I hope you'll consider it. I hope you will give it to parents especially Moms for Liberty parents. I hope you will give, them, give it to them. I hope you will uh, give it to teachers who are not completely whacked out, or maybe give it to teachers who are, are completely woke and whacked out and let them confront some contradictions to some, or some actually explanations of what they've actually imbibed. So that's the new book. I hope you will uh, pick it up and read it. I think it's very important. I think that this education issue is the probably actually single biggest issue facing America right now. Um, bigger than uh, it's right up there. It's so hard to say, but that's um, that's the new book. Uh, I hope you'll check it out again. It's called The Marxification of Education, written by James Lindsay. It'll be available through the New Discourses imprint on the uh, big one named after a tropical jungle uh, because we use their um, their independent publishing platform to put it out. Uh, and an audiobook, since everybody asks, is coming. It's already been recorded. It's already being edited. It's on its way. Uh, we'll check you out for the next one. <laughs>